Welcome to Emma's podcast. In today's podcast, we are doing another collaboration. And this time we have Paul von Hartmann and we still have Michael, our dear friend Michael Kemp. And Paul is an international cannabis scholar, photojournalist, filmmaker, and HCU alum, special major, or oh, in BA, special major. You're going to have to tell us what special major he was in 1978. In his forthcoming book, Cannabis versus Climate Change, he introduced objective science and an ecological perspective on hemp agriculture, theorized and protocol delineated afford time-limited achievable action for addressing climate change, food security, sustainable energy, and health. The timely shift in cannabis value from illegal to essential is ultimately good news for our planet, ourselves, and future generation. All right, that's a lot. So the first <laughs> question, the first <laughs> a lot. Yeah. We're gonna try to dissect our good through and some it's of condensed, those areas. Emma, that's yes. a little condensed. So, <laughs> yeah, just yes. add water. Yes. <laughs> oh, so uh, first, good morning, Paul. I know it's very early where you are, and rise and shine, like we always said. Um, <laughs> I've been up. How did you get started? <laughs> I've been up since five. Well. It's well, you are in the West Coast, we're in central time. Okay, it's not that bad. I was at I was about five o'clock when I get up too, but it was a little earlier than yours. But this is great to know <laughs> you're early bird. We love I that. Am. So if you need to call Paul, people, you can go after 5 a.m. He's always up, <laughs> ready to go. I'm gonna be yelled at in a minute. <laughs> Question for you. How did you start it all with cannabis? First of all, what was your special major in uh, 1978 in your BA? What was it? Well, my special major uh, was one of the first special majors that the California State University system approved. And I had been a wildlife management major until that point. And so I'd studied a lot of life sciences chemistry and biology and, and zoology and such. And when they offered the special major program, it was possible to combine upper division courses from different disciplines in order to create a unique education. And as soon as they announced it, I initiated my special major combining upper division courses in art, wildlife behavior journalism with a minor in aviation and so i focused primarily on photography and illustration and painting and uh cinematography in in my art studies and in wildlife behavior uh of course that involved a lot of uh life sciences prerequisites and 
um, population dynamics and ecology and things like that. And then in journalism, I focused mainly on nature writing and um, translating scientific papers into layman's language so that people could understand what the scientists were presenting in their papers because many scientists do wonderful work but nobody can understand the 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 vernacular of the discipline so um my major was approved after nine months of wrangling with the administration and i um wound up as a international photojournalist documenting environmental uh conditions and 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 issues um and just accumulated a portfolio that uh has depth and breadth uh i got my pilot's license the same year i got my degree and um have been uh flying hang gliders and and powered aircraft um and traveling the world making photographs uh for the last 30 years mainly uh of of cannabis and the cannabis industry in europe where i lived for 10 years so the question is, why did you directed yourself to the cannabis and not something else? Like, well, I don't know, gas and oil or anything like that, especially when it comes down to climate. Well, I was the director for Sea Shepherd in Hawaii for several years before I learned that you could make fuel from cannabis. And I immediately realized that the fuel industry is a multi-trillion dollar industry and that that was the main motivation for marijuana prohibition, which marijuana industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, but uh, trillions are much bigger than billions. And, and yes, the fuel industry is a multi-trillion dollar industry. And so I understood that the prohibition of cannabis uh, inclusive of hemp was a foundational uh, issue that was relevant to all other issues that I was working on with Sea Shepherd. And so um, it basically came down to developing uh, a philosophy of respect for nature and boiling down everything into those three words, because that's really where we jump the tracks uh, as uh, a species on this planet before any of us were born. I mean, we were born into uh, the institutional slavery that determined the basis for a toxic economic system based in fossil fuels and war. And so I started Project Peace. I turned Sea Shepherd over to a friend of mine uh, and I initiated uh, planet ecology advancing conscious energy economics evolution. And that was the project that I started in 1991. And I continue to this day in educating uh, people about the true value of cannabis as mankind's functional interface with the natural order.
So you said you were in Hawaii when you started all with Project Shepherd. Uh, I was uh, director for Sea Shepherd in Hawaii. Yes. So what is Sea Shepherd for people who do not know? Sea Shepherd is a very uh, aggressive environmental group that destroys the machinery used to kill animals in violation of international treaties. And so when people are killing animals in violation of international treaties, Sea Shepherd is the ocean going uh, arm of uh, Earth First that goes in and uh, either confiscates the equipment, uh, in, in some cases fishing nets that are five miles long, um, or otherwise disables uh, pirate whaling ships that are killing the whales in violation of international law. And so in its uh, history, Sea Shepherd has been responsible for uh, disabling more than 10 pirate whaling ships and putting an end to the killing of these magnificent creatures that are our masters of evolution that we have failed to recognize for the lessons that they have to teach our infant species. And because we have not learned those lessons, we are teetering on the brink of, of irreversible systemic collapse. And that's what I'm here to try to help our species avoid is irreversible systemic collapse. And so Sea Shepherd is a, a, a direct action organization. They take direct action uh, to stop the killing. And I brought that uh, style of environmentalism to the hemp movement uh, in 1991. I planted, well, actually it was 1992, January 1st, I planted cannabis publicly in Hawaii and challenged the state attorney general uh, in that state. And then in 1993 for Earth Day in Sacramento, I planted cannabis publicly again in, uh, on the steps of the state capitol and uh, have uh, challenged the rightful jurisdiction of the court over any herb bearing seed because our freedom to farm every herb bearing seed is the first test of religious freedom. And I founded the California Cannabis Ministry when my son was born in 2007 and have always maintained that cannabis is too valuable a natural resource to be within the rightful jurisdiction of any court. So why do you think we still have resistance at that level? Because um, I'm a non-user, but I've learned a lot from uh, Michael and Renee talking about the holistic side of that plan that everybody seems like they're ignoring for some unknown reason. Well, the economic inertia that we were born into favors toxic industries. The fossil fuels industry, the logging industry, uh, the cotton industry is very uh, chemical intensive and, and dependent on uh, unsustainable farming practices. And so the flow of money that determines the character of our 
governance of our political leadership has been firmly entrenched in the two dominant industries that determine where most of the money goes in the world, and that's the fossil fuels industry and the military industrial complex that supports the wars for oil and profits from the wars that are inevitable under the conditions that we were born into by prohibiting the world's most valuable agricultural resource that's capable of making fossil fuels obsolete, then we are put on a a track that is inevitably bound for extinction. And that's, we're at that point now where we, we can see the brick wall that we're headed for uh, evolutionarily. And, and we have to make a choice about whether to remain addicted to fossil fuels and war or to shift from cannabis is illegal to cannabis is essential. And that's the, the struggle that we're in the middle of right now. And it's very exciting to see it happening, but we have to accelerate the process in the right direction. And that's why I introduced the uh, accelerated federal protocol, essential military and civilian demand into my uh, book and into my film um, in order to get people to recognize that the people are the fourth branch of, of government in every country the people outnumber the 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 politicians and so if the people demands access to cannabis and a truly free market economy which we've never known then we can plant our energy regionally and we can grow our food at the same time that we're growing our clean fuel and if people aren't growing (laughs) cannabis right now uh, for seed and stock then their food and energy insecure because whatever they depend upon for those things now may or may not be available very soon for a variety of reasons paul i've just got to say um your story is so beautiful it doesn't matter how many times i hear it I learn more and more from you each time. And I just got to say myself, all my partners, we're extremely excited and ecstatic to support you and what you've been doing your whole life and and being part of this movement of making a difference. And uh, I love the word and you ain't used it yet. And understanding and implementing Gaia therapeutic measures, right? Oh, absolutely. That's the key. If it doesn't heal the earth, it's not worth doing. Money has no value unless it buys time. Time is the only thing we can't make more of. Time is the limiting factor in the equation of survival. Time is the NFT of the 21st century. And cannabis buys time because it solves several major global environmental problems all at the same time. (laughs) It's really incredible to to have the perspective 
that I, I do because it just creates enormous uh, optimism for the future in spite of the fact that things look so bleak right now. And I think if you can offer people investment in time and optimism, then you have something that no one else has. And that's what I offer to people. And I I just want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, Michael uh, (laughs) has been supportive of me. He's one of a few people who have actually reached into their own pocket and uh, helped to keep my my uh, phone <laughs> turned on because what's happened is that as I get older, it's harder and harder for me to uh, earn the money that used to sustain my activism. Nobody pays me to do this. And so, um, you know, my body is breaking down over time and the, uh, the market in Oregon for cannabis has uh, collapsed because uh, the market has been flooded by corporate weed and corporate so, garbage. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's pulled the rug out from under, you know, my ability to even, you know, keep the wolf away from the door. So, um, you know, when people do step up and, and help me to help them, it makes a big difference. And that's the basis of dolphin economics is you help me help you help everyone. And if people want to live, if they want a, a world that is functional and, and as wonderful as it has been up to this point, then we have to uh, take a look at what are the things that are worth worth doing and worth supporting. And right now, uh, the cannabis industry is the most Gaia therapeutic industry there is. It's the most earth healing industry because it's the only industry that produces the atmospheric aerosol terpenes that shield the planet from the increasing solar UVB radiation. And there's a lot of concern about global warming, but the real threat is the global broiling by UVB radiation that's increasing and has been increasing um, all of our lives. And the reason that it's increasing is because we're cutting down the boreal forests and we're killing the marine phytoplankton that used to produce the atmospheric aerosol terpenes that refract solar radiation away from the planet and serve as cloud condensation nuclei to form bright and persistent clouds that also shield the planet from the sun. And people need to understand that this is really important because there's a lot of talk of carbon drawdown and and carbon sequestration, but there's very little talk about replenishing the atmosphere with terpenes. And if we don't hold on, Paul, Paul, you use some really, really big words there. Are you telling me that hemp can not only make food, fuel, clothing, paper, regenerate the soil, sequence the air. It's also our, the shield for the earth from UVB. Yes. 
Wow. And it's the That's and it's the only one. <laughs> really? Now, why haven't and, I heard and, any? I, why haven't we heard about terpenes or anything like that in any UN meetings or any sustainable and global saving committees that exist? I can tell you I've that. Not, oh, please do. Because cannabis is the only option. And so if cannabis is produced at the scale needed to replenish Earth's atmosphere with terpenes that have been lost with the death of half of the boreal forests and half of the marine phytoplankton, then we're, we'll be growing enough cannabis to make fossil fuels obsolete because the terpenes go up into the atmosphere, yeah. but the stems and the stalks stay right here on earth. And if we have all those terpenes up in the atmosphere and all those stalks down here on earth to turn into cellulosic hydrogen and butanol and uh, methanol and all these other clean fuels, then fossil fuels become obsolete immediately. <laughs> and that threatens the status quo. And the reason that nobody's talking about the UVB radiation is because there's only one solution to it. We have to grow cannabis as fast as we can and pray it's not too late. Well, that's interesting. I would be uh, <laughs> one of the gas and oil company. I will be uh, hopping on that wagon and I will start to cultivate those because um, they are looking at different way of energies. I'm curious to know why would they not be thinking about cannabis? Well, there's only one best way to do anything. And when it comes to producing clean energy, there's no better mm -hmm. way than by growing cannabis to produce the stocks and to turn those stocks into usable energy through biofermentation and biodigestion, which are technologies that are available to more people around the world in more countries in less time than any other math method of, of producing energy. And because time is the limiting factor in the equation of survival, we have to look at the, uh, just the logic of turning sunlight into usable energy for the greatest number of people in the shortest span of time, because it's also the same process that will afford complete nutrition and lots of other uh, durable goods that, that Michael referred to earlier that will tie up the carbon that the cannabis sequesters. And so it's a, a complete package. It's a, a spherical solution to a spherical problem. And we need to think outside the bong about cannabis <laughs> and look at- And that's, and that's, <laughs> that's the problem. For a non-user, because I'm a non-user, the first thing you think when you hear cannabis, even dispensary, you say, oh, pothead. Yeah. The lack of education is appalling and discovering more and more, like, like I said, I would have never met Michael. I was just thinking cannabis, it's always getting high. That's all. It's a drug of um, use for recreational. 
could be for relief, but there is no education or true education about it. But the first thing we think it's the same that, and I'm sorry to put this in that category, but people think about cannabis, heroin, cocaine, crack, meth, everything, combo, and there. That's it. Got the same label, no matter what. <laughs> sure. And that's the irrational social prejudice that we were born into that originated three years before, well, actually two years before Hitler invaded Poland. <laughs> and the, the, the association between marijuana prohibition and World War II is that cannabis is a strategic resource identified in seven presidential executive orders as being critical to national security. And before World War II, a Nazi spy by the name of Harry Anslinger, who was the uh, son-in-law of Andrew Mellon, who was an industrialist of that period, who formed alliances with William Randolph Hearst and other rabid racists of the time who were more in line with Hitler than they were with Franklin Roosevelt. And so the strategic value of cannabis was undermined by the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, two years before Hitler invaded Poland. And it took an executive order uh, and the War Department in 1942 insisting that cannabis be reintroduced into agricultural rotations because it was needed for the war effort. And today, the same uh, general condition exists where we need cannabis, but the prohibition of it is impeding the timely development of the industry and the urgency of recognizing that cannabis prohibition started with uh, Nazi espionage is uh, relevant to including the military in the present day demand for this strategic resource, because that's the historical precedent that was set in 1942 when hemp was reintroduced in order to address the national security threat posed by uh, the, the Axis powers. And so now we have the UVB uh, threat and we have the fossil fuels and the military industrial complex uh, to contend with. And cannabis, again, is the, the solution, the singular solution to those problems. But people have to overcome that irrational social prejudice in order to objectively consider the solution that is obvious if you have an objective look at it. Because cannabis is the only crop that produces complete nutrition and clean energy from the same organic harvest. And it does so for more people around the world in less time than any other agricultural resource. So the solution is 
simple. It's very obvious. It's the problems that are complicated. And so we are being overwhelmed by these compounding integrated problems, but the solution comes back to cannabis. And that's one of the things that makes it hard for people to accept because I've heard, you know, there is no silver bullet (laughs) so many times. um, I can't count, but you know, the fact is there's only one crop that produces all three essential fatty acids in proper proportion for long-term consumption. There's only one crop that produces the volume of atmospheric aerosol terpenes that are needed to replenish what's been lost with the death of the boreal forest and marine phytoplankton. There's only one crop that, that does so many of the things <laughs> that cannabis does um, that, you know, it does sound fanatical to just go through the list of things that cannabis does that no other crop does. But it's a fact that those things are true. And if all that people can say is there is no silver bullet, um, well, they're wrong. <laughs> there is a silver bullet. And we need to recognize it while we still have time for it to, to, to work. Because time is running out. Exactly. We, it seems like we do have one, but the problem is somehow somewhere over the rainbow, somebody is prohibiting, that's the case to say, to really disclose what that plant is all about, that holistic part of that plant, because it's, it feels like that, that 10% of getting high like a kite is more essential to keep um, embedded in people's thoughts and mind to keep that perception of Marijuana is, hemp is the enemy when in fact, um, you know, every plant do something different, but there is a holistic side of it that could actually help the world. So it's very interesting, the lack of education and truth coming out of it. And it's been since 1942, which is very interesting. And we're at 2022, which is a joke at this point. It's kind of ironic. It's finished with a 2-2. <laughs> I didn't want it to do that in purpose, but I'm thinking that maybe it's time that education supersedes. And since we have different way now to reach out because, you know, big brothers around the world can block everything. But now with so many social media ways and avenues, you cannot block anything anymore. It leaks everywhere. So I feel that this year is an opportunity to start that education so the common people uh, can understand the reality of what marijuana is. Because at this point, it's still recreational here, it's still pad head, but in reality, there is more to it. Yes, much more. I like to say that it takes a head to get ahead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because Really what cannabis is, it is a tool for evolution. And it always has served mankind as a tool in advancing our ability to use uh, greater percentages of our brain. And the characterization of cannabis as uh, an impediment to intellectual development is a function of the conditioning that we were all exposed to through things like Cheech and Chong, where, you know, I mean, I can talk like Cheech and Chong if I want to, you know, but 
people who smoke cannabis don't generally speak that way. Most no. of most of them, I mean, I'm smoking right now. I've got a joint in my hand as we speak. And if people Same think <laughs> I as well, cheers, Paul, cheers. <laughs> Sorry, What's guys. That, I only have a glass of water. In my <laughs> I, I said, I've got one going too as well, Paul. Cheers. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Two out know, of three. The, is, the, the preconceived ideas and the, you know, the, the generalized statements about cannabis are, you know, purposefully uh, imposed on society in order to control us. Because if people lose their irrational social prejudice against the plan and, and, and think of it just as another agricultural resource that can be used for a lot of different things, then you know the people that are making money from the prohibition now won't be making that money. The, 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 the bureaucracies and the law enforcement and the uh, military industrial complex that profits from, you know, the fossil fuels, uh, situation, you know, all of that is established, impacted, and, um, it is going to take the public demand and the military demand, uh, to overcome it because soldiers don't have to die in wars for oil. And I'm sure that if you ask the rank and file uh, military, uh, they will tell you that they would rather not go and fight wars for oil. And so if we can eliminate the underlying motivation for war, then we can redirect the military from armies to farmies, and we can start regenerating the soil and expanding the arable base and increasing the carrying capacity of the planet because carrying capacity is determined by protein production. Protein is what allows us to survive and cannabis produces the best protein for the most people on the planet. And so using cannabis to expand the arable base just makes sense. And it is, again, a function of, of time, because, you know, the, the longer we wait, the more out of balance the natural order gets. And right now we are looking at the collapse of the marine environment, which is, is essentially, uh, you know, one of the foundational, uh, systems of this planet that if if the ocean collapses then you know it won't be long before life on land becomes uh, conflicted and violent and we probably just wind up in a, a thermonuclear war I, I think is is what we're headed for i don't think the global warming and the temperature increase is something that we're going to see because i think we're going to annihilate ourselves uh by fighting uh, under conditions of scarcity, which we were born into. We were born into scarcity because the most valuable agricultural resource on the planet was banned for 85 years. And it still is being uh, impeded by the market influences that compete with things like tree-free paper. You know, the logging industry is just insane. 
it's crazy that we cut down 80% of the boreal forests just to make paper when we knew that <laughs> the boreal forests are the lungs of the earth. I mean, that's what we used to call them because they produce 50% of the oxygen that we breathe. And the other 50% is produced by the marine phytoplankton. And so, you know, we killed half of that, <laughs> the marine phytoplankton also. So we've got one lung <laughs> on the earth left and, and we continue to cut down the boreal forest at the rate of five acres a minute. So, you know, people really need to understand that what's out of sight and out of mind determines the quality of life for everyone's children. And if we're determined to heal this planet, then we have to be very, very clear and very objective in assessing what we have to work with. And right now that's not happening. People are not looking at cannabis as a tool for healing Earth's atmosphere. And because it's uniquely qualified to do that, that means we're just running out of time. And it's just a matter of time before there's nothing that anybody can do that is going to avert global extinction. Because what happens when the UVB increases is that the uh, solubility of mercury increases. And the solubility of mercury is already increasing. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's being referred to cryptically in some of these government reports um, and the UVB increases being referred to cryptically in some of these government reports, like the recent report uh, by the intelligence community, the uh, threat assessment that was released on uh, the 7th of February, 2022, refers on page 21 to the global large-scale uh, solar geoengineering that is likely going to be the cause for additional disputes after 2030. And so on page 21 of the intelligence community's threat assessment, we can see the cryptic reference to the increasing UVB radiation because the solar geoengineering that's mentioned is in response to the increasing UVB radiation. Right now, the, uh, uh, the, the schemes that are being proposed by people like Bill Gates are to uh, scatter chalk dust in the uh, atmosphere uh, to shade the planet from the sun or to uh, float mirrors in space <laughs> to, to, to reflect the, the sunlight away from the planet. Uh, or also, this is my favorite ones, they wanna bomb the sky. They wanna shoot sulfur bombs at the sky <laughs> in order to scatter sulfur into the stratosphere. And all these things can be achieved through cannabis agriculture. The, the terpenes are the biogenic uh, method for shielding the planet from the sun. And that's what the boreal forest and the marine phytoplankton used to do at twice the volume that they're doing now. But, um, you know, cannabis is uniquely qualified to, to replenish the atmosphere with terpenes. And if we don't do that, uh, before we sequester the carbon, then we'll just let more UVB radiation through. Fortunately, cannabis does both at the same time. And that's, again, it gets back to the, the time efficiency of the cannabis solution. So I have a question because by listening to you, I feel like kicking the hornet's nest for a sec here. <laughs> Good. Uh, Good. 
when I'm listening to all of those climate people who are all embarking in their crusade of saving the world, saving the universe, saving the planet, but they don't even acknowledge for a minute cannabis, but they go to some crazy things about, you know, we should stop manufacturing, we should stop the coal, we should stop this and that because we're killing ourselves. What kind of misinformation those people are getting? Because at the end of the day, there is a solution that is known, but they want to do some uh, idiotic things like, really, I want to have sulfurous in the atmosphere right there just because you think it's going to work. I'm going to ask the question, I'm going to say, and I will not remove it from this podcast. Are they all on crack cocaine? Then they want <laughs> to throw things in the air, but not use cannabis, which is the logical thing. What is wrong with those people? I'm sorry, well, I have I can to ask. Ex- I can explain that. It's, it's very easy when you think about it. Problems are profitable. Money? Sure. Problems are profitable for people selling expensive solutions that don't work. And you would think somebody would call them on that crap. I did. I, I would. <laughs> I have been. For 30 years, I've been calling them on it, Emma. And, you know, I mean. Okay. I always thought that if what I was doing was worthwhile, that eventually somebody would say, hey, that guy should, that, somebody should give him a platform. Somebody should, you know, support his work. You know, I'm the still waiting right here. That. I'm here, well, buddy. I'm uh, here. Let's do it. We're going to get to your <laughs> own platform saying. and we're going to smack him in the face with the solution. Well, you know, the thing <laughs> is, I'm more of a, a healer. Uh uh, I used to be called a, a what an eco warrior when I was with Sea Shepherd, and I was uh, a freedom fighter uh, for a while with cannabis. But you know, I'm really a peaceful guy, and uh, Project Peace, <laughs> you know, that was no accidental acronym. <laughs> that was the whole point of what I do is to to heal this planet, and the Gaia Therapeutic Industries that I propose are profitable industries. I mean, product development is one of my, my hobbies. I, I come up with products using cannabis every day that, <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about this for 30 years and I'm a pretty creative, you know, cross-platform creative guy. So um, I come up with things that nobody else thinks about and it's fun. And that's part of what cannabis helps me to do is it, it broadens my creativity and and you look at history and and all of the different you know people that have uh used cannabis i mean uh not just the artists and the the poets and the writers but you look at some of the scientists like carl sagan <laughs> you know he's a cannabis user and uh you know richard Feynman, uh you know some of the most brilliant minds in our history have been cannabis users and all of the major religions uh, originated through the use of entheogenic plants and fungi. And so, you know, for people to, you know, suddenly uh, cop an attitude against cannabis, uh, you know, after, you know, thousands of years of, of, of the plant participating in our intellectual development, really reveals the 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 propaganda and the social conditioning that is characterized 
in reefer madness. You know, that's the, the way I refer to the irrational social prejudice that afflicts our society in clouding the value of, of the true value of cannabis. Because, you know, cannabis is our functional interface with the natural order. It is exceptionally unique in, in that way. And we have an endogenous cannabinoid system that's built into our physiology. And I mean, we don't have an endogenous alcohol system. <laughs> we don't have an endogenous, uh, you know, tobacco system. <laughs> we have an endogenous cannabinoid system and it distinguishes can cannabis from other uh, things that we ingest because it operates on so many different levels, nutritionally with the seed and the, the whole plant nutrition which I have pioneered uh, since the mid nineties, um, you know, ingesting the whole cannabis plant all at once affords extraordinary health benefits um, and healing properties that nothing else does. Um, but you also look at the, just the cannabinoids or you just isolate the terpenes, for example, and the antibiotic, antifungal, antimicrobial, uh, antiseptic properties of the terpenes, for example, uh, are another dimension of it that put it in a category that's beyond the rightful jurisdiction of any court. And so, you know, when we establish a clear perception of value for cannabis, it's revealed as being essential. And it can't be illegal if it's essential because drugs don't make seeds. <laughs> Herbs make seeds. No. Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's a I huge distinction. Well, you know, it's funny because- well, I was, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna I say was, on the I first... was looking at... Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead, Paul, finish your sentence. <laughs> I just want to point out that on the first page of the King James Bible, God is quoted as saying that every herb bearing seed and every green herb were given to mankind. And because drugs don't make seeds and herbs do, then there's a, a religious freedom element to the cultivation and use of cannabis that is casually dismissed in order to impose prohibition and the exercise of religious freedom inclusive of cannabis is a legitimate federal defense against prohibition that is vastly underregarded and we just sort of take it for granted that you know oh well seeds are the foundation of life you know <laughs> There's a miracle in every seed. It's called life. <laughs> you know, instead mm -hmm. of, you know, instead of being birthed through the womb, like people are, seeds just miraculously appear <laughs> on the plants and drop to the ground and make more plants that make more seeds. Fecundity is something that is vastly, vastly underappreciated. And the fecundity of cannabis is so exceptional that one plant 
will produce thousands of seeds. Thousands. 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 And then I wanted to take this chance. I've been, I've been holding it in, in the chamber, <laughs> right? And, it, and we, hit, uh, we started hitting the religious aspect of the documentation for so many years of, about the plant. And, you know, and, and we're going to have to have another show. So we got, we, there, that's what's great with Paul and, and individuals like myself. I, I, we were blessed to know people that the, each little aspect that uh, Paul's touched on, there's individuals that uh, focus and dial in on that to such an extreme that I would really love to get them and, and you together, Paul, and let's and, and learn, right? That's my, well, my sure. biggest thing. I, I take advantage of the, the brilliance of you uh, and, and other cannabis users and, and non-cannabis users, right? But that, you know, like with Emma, you're, Emma, you're, you're, you're rare uh, to, to want and, and desire the education. <laughs> but but it's just not everybody thrives <laughs> for that knowledge not everybody recognizes it and can just say all right even the ones that say yes we know we're being we're lied to or guided or however you want to verbalize it even then with knowing that still will dismiss the things that you know like paul said but not if Paul's saying it, because you can hear the foundational vernacular within it, but then the passion that supports it. So not everybody is uh, gets the privilege to learn from individuals like yourself, Paul. But then with bringing up the religion and bringing up the plant, you talked about, I don't know, probably a dozen different ways uh, uh, of healing the planet with the, with the plant. And then we're hitting Genesis, and now I know you love it, Emma. You already talked about it. The year twenty twenty two, and all these two 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 twos, and we're just going to throw in Revelation twenty two two, twenty two two. So chapter mm-hmm. twenty two, verse two of Revelation says, "Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of." fruit yielding its fruit every month globally and the leaves of the tree are of for the healing of the nations i personally feel i know paul does that's cannabis (laughs) emma what do you think i was thinking when you were saying it i thought about cannabis actually well, it qualifies it in all of the descriptive uh, phrases in that passage, um, and uniquely so. I mean, uh, the global distribution of the crop affords the, the harvesting of, of, you know, the, the fruit, the, uh, uh, different manners of fruit uh, in every, <laughs> every month of the year. I mean, it's, it's, it is uniquely uh identifiable through the, the the description in that passage because there's no other crop that does all that and also cannabis is is prominently featured in the recipe for the holy anointing oil that was used by jesus uh that is uh in exodus thirty twenty three. uh the holy anointing oil recipe uh it <laughs> refers to the fragrant cane 
uh, it's not uh, identified by name in the translations uh, since the original Hebrew in which it was referred to as Kana Bos uh, and the etymologist uh, Sula Benet back in 1936 uh, translated the original Hebrew and identified the one of the major components in the holy anointing oil as being cannabis. And it was uh, uh, mistranslated subsequently to uh, be described as calamus or fragrant cane, but the word cannabis is the uh, Hebrew uh, uh, root of the word cannabis. <laughs> so it's pretty uh, amazing when you go to Exodus 30, 23, and you see how much cannabis was used in the holy anointing oil that um, was the only legitimate holy anointing oil that was used by Jesus. So, you know, the cannabis plant has the historical chops <laughs> to, to back it up as the tree of life. Absolutely. It's always yeah. been there. It's not yep. been identified or been suppressed for people to do not know or to see it as something quote unquote evil or, you know, not the best things to have. But it's quite sad in one way that the education um, has been, um, what do you call it, closed off. The truth sure. has been closed off for so long. Exactly. And now the truth is setting itself free because, you know, more and more people are learning about the healing uh, properties of cannabis and the useful properties of cannabis. Now they're, <laughs> they've figured out how to make rebar out of cannabis <laughs> that's stronger than steel <laughs> and doesn't rust. <laughs> And that, that's amazing. So I'm curious, uh, it would be nice. And I think it's why I'm part of where we are today is the education and continue to push so everybody can understand and learn from it. Because economic wise, it will help everybody, not only the few, but help people can change and give um, opportunity to reverse the damage of the climate and being able to be part of the changes in a positive way. Well, absolutely. There are more than 9,000 biodigesters in Germany. 9,000 biodigesters. The Germans are turning plant material into to, to clean energy. We're not. Yeah, United that's what States. I was saying. We're slow. Yeah. And so... When you grow cannabis at the scale that's needed to heal the atmosphere, not only with terpenes and not only with the carbon sequestration, but with oxygen, we need oxygen to breathe on this planet. And the boreal forest and the marine phytoplankton each produced about 50% of the oxygen that we need to breathe. And half of those species have died in the last 70 years. And so we need to replenish the Earth's atmosphere with oxygen. We need to replenish the Earth's atmosphere with terpenes. We need to sequester the carbon. We need to divest our addiction 
to fossil fuels and nuclear energy and the military industrial complex. We can't be making our money by waging war anymore. That's just crazy. And so we have to look at the holistic solution to these compounding problems, the foundational solution. And what's interesting, hey, though, Paul, real quick, real yeah, quick, go ahead. Because we skipped one, the regeneration of uh, the, the soil. Um, I've heard people talk. I've been trying to hunt to see if I could find some studies. I haven't been able to find it for reference. But uh, does cannabis have the capabilities of like cleaning Chernobyl area? Yeah, yeah, they're using it right now. That's what I, I was trying to find some articles on it, but that's what I was thinking. Cause there was a guy in Florida talking about some issues of some big dumps and some swamp areas. And that's what they're using is cannabis. Yeah. And you know, the, uh, the cannabis that's produced, um, is of course toxic, you know, it, it soaks up the toxicity and, um, that cannabis can then be used as substrate for uh, mushroom cultivation. And the mushrooms actually uh, <laughs> transform the toxic material. The, the, the cannabis gathers it and concentrates it into a form that can be uh, worked with and manipulated. But the, 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 the fungi <laughs> are actually the, the little alchemists that, that detoxify the material and so, so yeah let's go ahead so so now you talk about chernobyl because i'm from europe so i want to know a little bit more when did they started to use cannabis and how did it came up with this one do you know well well cannabis is known uh in in the the agricultural community as a very useful rotational crop for conditioning the soil mm -hmm. historically cannabis has been considered uh well thomas jefferson referred to cannabis as being of first necessity and he was right um washington also uh told his gardener to to sow it everywhere <laughs> and um and they did and what happens when you do that is that the plant uh, grows abundantly without needing any additional tending. Uh, it grows well without any attention at all uh, in many cases. And what happens is that the wildlife uh, are attracted to it for the feed and the cover. Mm -hmm. And so the wildlife participate in the regeneration of the soil. Uh, in a number of different ways, um, but the process of succession that's necessary to the healing of uh, uh, the the regions that have been damaged on this on this planet is accelerated uh, in several ways <laughs> by introducing cannabis, and so you know when the uh, Chernobyl released a, a cloud of, of radioactive material across Europe. Yep. The uh, only places that had normal levels of radiation were the biodynamic farms, the Demeter farms, 
that are uh, uh, grown in accordance with the uh, methods introduced by Rudolf Steiner back in the 1920s in a series of lectures. And Rudolf Steiner was a clairvoyant uh, savant in many uh, disciplines, including medicine and education and agriculture and architecture. Um, but the Waldorf schools were a product of uh, Rudolf Steiner's uh, uh, anthroposophic movement. And so the uh, esoteric dimensions of agriculture and the spiritual dimensions of agriculture are prominently featured as part of the agricultural process when growing biodynamic uh, crops and uh, using biodynamic soil amendments. Uh, and that dimension of uh, healing is referred to in a book called Secrets of the Soil by Christopher Bird and uh, Robert Thornton. And the Secrets of the Soil describes the uh, normalization of elevated uh, radioactivity uh, after Chernobyl. And so that's why I garden biodynamically. I, I employ uh, Rudolf Steiner's methods in my uh, gardening and, and I try to influence farmers that I uh, work with to adopt those methods because there is an esoteric dimension to agriculture uh, just inherent to it. Um, anybody who spends time in a garden can tell you there's a lot of spirituality that goes along with, yes. with agriculture properly done. I like to think of myself as indigenous to this planet because I respect nature in every way that I can. And, and uh, part of that is in properly assessing the value of nature and, and what we have to, to, to work with. So I think that cannabis helps me to appreciate nature uh, in a way that I would not otherwise have developed um, because I have spent a lot of time immersed in uh, wildness. I was a commercial diver for several years on the North coast of California. I uh, have uh, been a, a cannabis grower out in the, in the mountains of Northern California in the Emerald Triangle for several years. I was up there uh, just living like a little deer <laughs> in the woods. And, uh, and that solitude and, and that uh, immersion in nature uh, for extended periods of my life have sensitized me to the things that I think help me to uh, do the work that I do. And it's, it's an unquantifiable sort of, uh, they don't give you a, a degree or a medal <laughs> for doing it. But I feel like my time has been well spent in developing those sensitivities and applying them to the intellectual uh, development that accompanies the scholarship that I've conducted over the last 30 years in regards to cannabis. And 
fortunately, I, I, <laughs> I'm a photographer as well and an illustrator. And so I'm able to share uh, my perceptions with people uh, through those media as well. Um, I have a photograph of cannabis that I just absolutely love. Um, I've been very lucky a number of times, but the photograph shows the refraction of sunlight by the, <laughs> by the terpenes in the um, uh, trichomes of a uh, plant that was being harvested in Santa Cruz at the, the uh, WAM garden, the Women's and Men's Alliance for Medical Marijuana. Uh, in Santa Cruz, uh, Valerie Corral and Michael uh, were uh, tending a garden that served terminal patients. Um, and the, the, the privilege of being able to film in their garden one evening was accentuated by uh, a chorus of Santa Daime. Uh, worshipers who were singing in the garden while it was being harvested at sunset. And so my film, uh, Cannabis Versus Climate Change, which is on Vimeo, people can watch my film. Mm -hmm. uh, it opens with the singing of the Santa Daime worshipers and the image of the cannabis plant at sunset, um, where all of the trichomes grab the sunlight and refract it in sort of a neon <laughs> effect that uh, resembles the burning bush. I mean, you could certainly uh, characterize the image as a burning bush because the, uh, the trichomes work their magic with the setting sun, which turned red <laughs> as it dropped into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so if you haven't seen my film, I would encourage you to find Cannabis Versus Climate Change on Vimeo. And you can see me 30 years ago when I was young, <laughs> planting, <laughs> <laughs> planting, <laughs> you laugh now, but wait yes. for 30 years. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Isn't it funny? It's funny and it's not funny because, you know, I didn't think it was going to take 30 years. I thought it was going to take five. Really? Oh. Yeah. If I, if I had known that cannabis prohibition was going to consume 30 years of my adult life, I don't know that I would have committed myself to it. That's the reason <laughs> you did not know. That's the reason they never told you. <laughs> I guess that's it. Yeah. You know, the fact is, um, I, I look back now on my life and I'm kind of relieved that I've lived it. <laughs> Well, but you get the knowledge, you know, through those 30 years, you get you, you acquired knowledge. And I think a lot of people don't have. So, you know, when you're talking cannabis, I'm pretty much sure the people who put their toes into the water don't have a, have a clue than you got because you were able to give us a history then people don't know. 1942 people remember this <laughs> year. All right. That was the year they decided that, you know, we're going to go after cannabis. But it's very interesting because there is a lot of component with that plant, and I'm sure it's going to take centuries to discover more stuff about it. But you have to, we're talking Chernobyl because for me, uh, maybe they can do the same with the uh, in Japan with uh, planting cannabis over there too for that plant uh, when they got that leak. But I think it's um, 
it's a great way to see what that plant is capable to do, and not only uh, in a in a way for the climate, but for again amino acid for humans feeding, uh, and not only this, but I'm learning uh, from through Michael as well that uh, every different uh, every plants can be planted around the world. It depends where you are, what the climate is. So there is variation. It's not one plant fits all either. That's true. Well, and absolutely. And with you saying that, Emma, in the, in the uh, chat, I sent a uh, link that you can share on the uh, podcast if you're able to or however. I but will. It's, it's on the radioactive soil. And in Italy, yeah. the steel plant, they're using it. Uh, Chernobyl, they've been doing it for since 2001. Uh, so here's uh, since a huge increase in plants. Uh, Fukushima. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but there's the power plant you were talking about that it was leaking, that they want to use it. They want to use it. And I'll have to check when this article was, but uh, it looks, however, they can't because of the forced laws and uh, con cannabis control law forced in Japanese law by the occupying U.S. powers. <laughs> so it comes through of, the U.S. is stopping them from being able to do what they want. And they've shifted to using testing to find out if sunflowers, field mustard, amaranth, can so uh, in an attempt to soak up uh, cesium and other toxins from the soil, that hemp does. Then the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency has also began experimenting involving sunflowers since 2011 and have various projects since uh, investigated into algae, buckwheat, and spinach. But hemp, they've still not been utilized up to date because of us. <laughs> well, not us, us being the U.S. powers, it says. Just reading what it says. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, as I said, this is something people should know. I probably would put it this one on my um uh, personal blog as well, because there is so much, you know, we're talking, you know, people are assuming this is the boogeyman, the cannabis plant. But when you're looking at it, the hemp, when you're looking at it very closely and see what it can do, especially for radioactive soil. I'm sorry, there is an area within Chernobyl, you cannot even approach it if you move the soil like those ding-dong did when they tried to invade Ukraine, you got a bunch of troops that went over there. Well, when they came out, well, they're all dying right now, but they were moving the soil that was contaminated at a very high level. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Leave this alone. But well, and then with it's that, nice with to the, know. With all the other ventures where we're working together, this is a great thing about a, a community of like-minded, but those that make effort in the change not just talk and and it's great to be partnered with so many paul's opened so many doors so many you well, this is only a touch of paul there's this is he's there's so many books and books and this is just a few pages in a chapter of a book and that's why i love learning from paul but with what we're taking that into well, with healing the planet with nfts right, paul i'm so excited to that we'll finally get to go through and get and sit down and look at all your pictures and incorporate your videos and all of your memories and being able to actually have financial monetization, not only to being having the time to do that, 
and taking and not surviving, but thriving, but also implementation of just this with the world that we live into this digital side and all I'm reading is that we got to get more in Europe. We got you, Emma and, and, and you, Paul and, the, and uh, Renee in Africa with A of Africa and all these opportunities to act local, think global from each component and actually make a, a difference and make some finances in it through NFTs and have land bought. You know what I'm saying? We can go through when it comes in and like who you are, Paul. And we're going to be able to set was here after our event. We're going to be setting up projects to purchase land, to plant hemp, to implement what you have fought for for so many years. And sequential land all simultaneously. It's absolutely ridiculous that uh, we are not doing that. <laughs> There's some that are. I know. But it, we as a collective of the human race, no, it's not even being looked at. It's, uh, it's well, reassuring you know, to know we've got people like you to lean on, Paul. Well, you know, the thing is, um, I am attempting to evolve in a way that is timely and the, the cryptocurrency uh, developments are something that I don't fully understand, but I am already, uh, I've already opened a wallet um, under the title Cannabis Block Crypto. And I, I secured the domain name Cannabis Block Crypto and, and initiated uh, uh, a fund that people can uh, participate in that is, I think, uniquely uh, founded in value that is directly relatable to time. And time is, it, in my opinion, time is the NFT of the 21st century. It's the only thing we can't make more of, and we don't know how much of it we've got left. So, you know, if people value money uh, over time, they miss the, the obvious uh, relationship that there is no money on a burned out planet. If, if we run out of time to heal this planet, then money has no value because you just <laughs> there's nothing to be done at that point and so by investing in time and by recognizing the time value of cannabis in being able to solve all of these major global problems all at the same time you know cannabis is the only crop that produces complete nutrition and clean energy from the same organic harvest and in more countries around the world in less time than any other agricultural resource so once you identify that you directly connect cannabis and time <laughs> as the best investment that can be made because there's no other crop that can replenish earth's atmosphere with terpenes there's just no other crop that can do it and the boreal forest and the marine phytoplankton are not going to regenerate 
under the current conditions that we can expect to get worse in the future. So once you establish that that's the priority, replenishing the atmosphere with terpenes, full stop, then a lot of other things fall into place. Suddenly you have an abundance of cannabis stocks that can be turned into cellulosic hydrogen and butanol and all these other, you know, pyrolytic charcoal. I mean, all these different fuels that are suddenly available to people who have access to fresh fertile hemp seed. And that's the priority is to develop the seed stocks and to distribute the seeds to every farmer and home gardener on the planet, because there is something that everybody can do to heal this planet. We can all plant a seed. Even if you just throw it from your wheelchair, <laughs> you, can, you can plant a seed, you know? And I mean, I build wheelchair accessible gardening systems. Um, that's one of the things that I offer people is, is wheelchair accessible gardens because um, it's one of the most efficient ways to garden. And even if you're not in a wheelchair, it uh, really makes gardening much more productive. Um, but what it does more importantly is it helps with the transfer of knowledge and passion for gardening from one generation to the next, because the people in wheelchairs are often the people who used to uh, you know, garden and farm and now they're confined to a wheelchair because of age, but that knowledge and passion for gardening still exists in them. And if they have the ability to share that with young people who much prefer to garden standing up and running around, I've seen it happen. It's a miracle of <laughs> a social dynamic that is good for everybody, uh, the elderly, the disabled, the, the youth um, and the community because the uh, production uh, workforce <laughs> is expanded in two directions at the same time. The elderly and the disabled and the, 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 the children can all be productive uh, contrib contributors to the production of food and, uh, and fuel. And uh, you know, that dynamic and that uh, transfer of knowledge is critical. Uh, because so, talking about transfer of knowledge right now, I'm sorry mm -hmm. to cut you on this one, no, no. but it's been, it's been thinking in my little brain right now. I've been sitting for the past 20 minutes and I'm like, yeah, okay. So you got a lot uh, in your brain, uh, <laughs> in regard <laughs> of cannabis and the history of it. How do you, how are you going to be translating it for people and pass it on your legacy? Well, I have my book, Cannabis Versus Climate Change. I have uh, Yeah, but the book film. is one. Okay, well, here's the deal. The book is nice, but do you have something recorded? Oh, yeah. I do. I have my I recorded your 30 years? Well, actually, uh, my film spans 30 years of activism. Um uh, there was okay. a videographer at the, the planting in Hawaii in 1992. And uh, okay. actually, I, CNN uh, uh, broadcasts the planting around the world. So I, I imagine there's probably uh, film archives at CNN uh, that could be uh, secured somehow. But we need um, to, yeah, we need to get a hunt for those. And I know, well, I know and also well, the, 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 yeah. 
the planting in Sacramento for Earth Day was also filmed by, uh, I think it was Channel 12 in, in California. Um, and it was broadcast on, I think it was KUBA. Uh, uh, they were uh, present. And so we had statewide coverage for the planting in 93. And, uh, and then a yeah. couple of years later, uh, interestingly enough, a couple of years later, uh, well, the next year, uh, Chris Boucher planted a field of hemp that was not harvested. They plowed it under. Uh, but then uh, I think the year after that, Woody Harrelson planted some seeds. Uh, and he's actually being recognized this year uh, for planting those seeds. Um, I think it was in 1996 he planted them. Uh, that was the year I flew to Amsterdam <laughs> with a one-way ticket and helped to uh, start the Cannabis College. But Woody is, is being recognized at the Emerald Cup this year uh, for his activism, which I'm, I'm delighted. You know, he's a great, great uh, spokesperson for the plant. And, uh, but I'm always uh, a little bit, um, I don't know, you know, it'd be nice if somebody recognized that I planted seeds like four years before he did. <laughs> oh, we're I'm on it. Hey, Paul, you just, you just, uh, you just opened up Pandora's box on a level for uh, my own personal <laughs> NFT project hero packs. And, you know, and that's how I'm seeding the world. Right. And it's the utility within the, the NFT is, and with you already being having the photography, videography, and things like that, uh, I think it's time. What do you say we make the next Paul J. Von Hartman film? And we document well, taking I've, what you already have and releasing it in a new way to the world. I've got. But 50, it has to be educational. Absolutely. I've got I've got 50 hours of, of videotape from Europe that I shot in uh, from 2001 to 2006. I drove around Europe in a, a, a little sports car with a big camera and uh, documented the Festival de Chambre in Mont-Jean-sur-Loire, France. And I spent time in Switzerland at Chambre Info with uh, the late great Andre Furst, who was a, a magnificent pioneer in cannabis, contemporary cannabis culture, who passed on a few years ago. And I, I filmed interviews with people um, who are no longer with us, who are, you know, they are the heroes for hemp. I mean, they're, they're the ones that, uh, like Dr. Todd Micaria, you can see the film that I, I made with Todd. Dr. Todd on uh, Vimeo uh, or, or YouTube, I think. Uh, but, um, you know, all of these things are uh, sort of a collection of either films or literature. I wrote the manifesto for the world's first cannabis college in Amsterdam in uh, 1998, entitled The Fundamental Challenge of Our Time. And it's available online. Uh, people can read the fundamental challenge of our time, or they can go to my uh, Twitter uh, at capital P, capital J, small V-O-N, capital H. And that's my current Twitter 
account, my project peace Twitter account was uh, canceled because I was posting information that was contrary to the, uh, the, the uh, mainstream narrative on COVID. And so um, I had my Twitter account censored after several years of posting information about cannabis and films and such. It all just disappeared one day. But um, PJ Von H is my new Twitter handle. And people can find me uh, on Instagram, my photographs and illustrations. Some of them are, are posted there. Um, you know, there's a, uh, uh, an interesting development. A few years ago, uh, somebody wrote a book, uh, a fictional uh, book by the uh, title Munich. And this uh, book has been made into a film. And one of the primary characters uh, has my name and it's a, a, a Nazi uh, that they use my name. No, I'm not. I, yeah. Who is sick? Yeah. Hey, we could just, so hey, we could just what, twist what, it and leverage just, it. Let me just finish. Let me okay. just finish my thought. <laughs> Go ahead. What happened, what that, what, what that achieved, what that hat, what, what that did was it, it obscured my name from, the search engines because if you type my name into the search engines without the j then you'll come up with this fictional nazi and it has uh thrown out a cloak or a a a screen over my work online wow which i'm not happy about at all and if i could see the shit out of that's why i'm laughing i'm like who's evil well paul all i can say person who did that is it so Robert like Harris that... is the name of the author. Robert Harris. What's the name of the author? Robert Harris. And the name of the, the film is Munich. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, it and sounds it, like it, your, you know, your legacy. I'm outraged. Are... I'm totally outraged by it. Well, we need to, we need to, we're going to get a collective and we're going to raise some hell on that. And and and, well, and the yeah. aspect because like what you said, Emma, on the question, it, it comes through. It was a beautiful question. Your legacy. What are you going to? You 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 are a legacy. You've yeah. been leaving a legacy, Paul. And I am so f- damn excited to help spread that education of legacy because everything about you is translation of education, and the way you're able to dictate it, it is inspiring. Uh, on a level that can and does make cha- make and invoke change, right? Well, and I'll tell you, Mike. I'm going to get you to the world, bro. I'm loving it. <laughs> I got hey, just I got one question for you. Yeah, I got some big names wanting to come in, um, and I know they're going to listen to this. So, I just got to ask: Are you interested in? partnering and saving the world and sequentiating and doing awesome things and doing it on a state level on a global level well i have been perfect (laughs) oh i know it well i just wanted them to hear it because they're going to listen to this and go holy shit because they're also been you know traumatized by the stigma against cannabis so of course and well we're uh, all in this we're all you know all of our feet are on the same planet (laughs) you know we're all in the same boat and i know how to fly it 
I know how to fly this plane. My, my grandfather was the seventh man ever to fly an airplane. And that makes me a, a third generation aviator. There aren't too many of those around. My son's a fourth generation aviator. And, you know, the fact is that, um, you know, people like Elon Musk are talking about colonizing Mars and, and doing all these things out in space. Well, you know, if there's one plant <laughs> that you want to take with you to Mars, <laughs> it's cannabis. Cannabis. A be mm -hmm. Because it produces oxygen, it sequesters carbon and other uh, atmospheric gases. It also uh, produces the terpenes that shield the planet from the solar radiation. So, you know, it produces the clean energy, it produces the fiber, it produces the cellulose. You know, all of these things are necessary in colonizing, uh, well, new continents or new planets. I mean, in on this planet, people took cannabis with them to every new continent that they that they uh, settled because they knew that if they had cannabis, they could survive. And, and well, then I asked Paul, like with the yeah. things when you brought up, uh, Elon, you know, uh, it comes through. You bought Twitter, forty-four billion dollars. I just want to say, I hope kids aren't listening. But what the fuck? <laughs> what if what if he's only spent forty-three? billion and he put a billion into what we've been talking about in this past hour and a half what kind of significant change would a billion dollars be able to make how well, many I've always how many lives would it save how many jobs would it create how, <laughs> how many i see that have to be a whole nother show <laughs> well yeah but see the thing is uh i've always told you know people they don't believe it but i say it anyway um you know if you give me a billion dollars in a year, I'll give you back a trillion. That's the latent value of this crop. And it's not because I'm such a, you know, an economic wizard. It's because the latent value of cannabis being essential makes it very easy to see that once a couple of things change, then access to a trillion dollar industry is available to everyone. We can all be, uh, you know, the new energy barons of the 21st century if we harvest our hemp stocks. We can all, um, you know, be food secure if we grow cannabis for seed. You know, those are things that make people truly free. If you can grow your own food and your own fuel and your own herbal therapeutics and your own tree-free paper and biodegradable plastics and all these other <laughs> industries that will result from our purposeful replenishing of the atmosphere with terpenes. Because, you know, once you grow the crop, you have all this industry feedstock to work with that will drive the price of everything down because the abundance of industry feedstock will be so enormous because it has to be because we have to grow a lot of terpenes for the atmosphere and a lot of oxygen. And all these things add up to uh, an equation for survival. And no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, um, you know, that's an equation that you want to be tuned into. Because not only does it mean the quality of life on Earth for everyone's children will be improved 
but it also means that there's tremendous economic opportunity in the shift from the petrochemical fossil fuels military industrial based economy to the economy of abundance and peace and cannabis so you know if you want to live farm with me <laughs> that's the message and that's a beautiful Love it. message emma, emma <laughs> Thank you. we're gonna have to make a little clip of just that last what was how'd you say it if you if you want to live farm with me yeah, I'm kind of a ripping yes. off Terminator. Remember Terminator? <laughs> if you want to live, come with me. Remember that one? Oh uh, no, I pictured all of this stuff for you, Paul. We're gonna have some fun, fun in the in the metaverse and the capabilities of that same decentralization and and uh, capabilities for the whole, for the for, for the the collective, the community, not just the one percent, right? And. Um, I look forward to the changes that are happening here this year. So, well, I look forward to not having to wonder if my phone's going to be shut off. Oh, yeah. I can't pay those my bills. I mean, are those, going away. No more surviving. I, we will all be thriving. Well, you know, the thing is, I, we, we choose know, to farm with you. Well, the thing is, the product development that I'm doing is worth literally, it's worth billions. <laughs> and so, if people want to invest in my knowledge, I can promise uh, with some high degree of uh, confidence that their investment will be well worth uh, the risk. Because as I said, it's not, it's not me, it's, it's the latent value of the crop. But what needs to happen is that, that the THC limits on industrial hemp need to be suspended by essential military and civilian demand before we miss another growing season which we're currently missing another growing season right now um, because we aren't planting in relation to the volume of terpenes that are needed. And that's the, 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 you know, if we don't replenish the atmosphere with terpenes then nothing else that anybody is doing right now is going to matter very soon. It just won't. The increased solubility of mercury will create, compounding problems that will escalate into thermonuclear war. And that's the, you know, unfortunate reality of it. But if we want to avoid that unfortunate reality, then we have to be realistic about how to avoid it. And that's what we're running out of time to do. Because even though cannabis is capable of doing all these amazing things, it does take time for those things to, to have an effect. And we need to understand that you know, by the time we realize it's too late to save this planet, it will have been too late for some time. So um, we need to err on the side of caution and take advantage of every growing season because every growing season that passes without cannabis is gone forever. We can't. Well, that's why the education is uh, essential um, to bring it to the public because the law will not change if we don't educate people. And that's what I see as the biggest, as the first step. We cannot put the carriage before the horses, only Porsche doing it, but um, we, we, cannot, uh, we cannot do it without that knowledge. And I was looking on Sunday, I was looking at the law in Minnesota and I decided to shake my head because they are going even, <laughs> I was reading something that really, really made me laugh 
because now the government, if you're planting, you have a level of planting and they go from federal, state and federal. So if you're planting, I think over 25 plants, then they're changing for you to plant cannabis to manufacture cannabis equal sale. And I'm like, how can you and how dare you as a prosecutor going that route, even if you don't sell it, but they decided to go through the loophole to prohibit people and will take them to court to the state and federal court to sue people. So it is very uh, interesting to, um, to listen to this and looking at the line, how some of the lawmakers are switching, twi you know, twisting some of the laws to try to prohibit the cultivation of cannabis. Here, Minnesota is one example, but there is other states uh, that needs to be changed. But in order to do that, we really need to connect with, um, with the community and educate people. If we don't have the education, then nothing's going to change. Well, you know, one of my favorite quotes, Emma, is from uh, Frederick Douglass. In 1857, Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never, it never has, has and it never will. And we have to hear those words. It never has and it never will. And so the ball is in our court. We have to demand cannabis. We have to demand an end to the THC limits on industrial hemp. We have to demand that the military and the civilian populations coordinate in a hemp for victory campaign that was established during World War II as yeah. our best chance for overcoming these threats to national security and global integrity. And that is the level of activism that's required, the level of demand where in a, in a tug of war, the team that wins is the, the team that, that all pulls on the rope all at the same time, one, two, three, pull. That's how you win a tug of war. Yeah. And that's what we need to do mm -hmm. is the contemporary cannabis culture, culture needs to recognize itself as being spiritually legitimate and culturally legitimate. And we don't need permission from this upstart regime to survive. We're at the point now where any compliance with regulation is defeat. Compliance is defeat. We need to grow as though our lives depended on it because they do. And not only us, but exactly. everyone's children will suffer for our failure to recognize the true value of cannabis. An essential military and civilian demand will bring the military, both the active duty uh, service men and women, and also the veterans into alliance with the civilian population, the farmers and the manufacturers and the people that can turn this crop 
into food and fuel and medicine and building materials and paper and cloth and all these other things that are going to create jobs that are going to heal the the planet. They're going to do all the things. And and most importantly, redistribute the true wealth of the world, because right now it's the one percent versus the ninety nine percent. And that imbalance, that systemic imbalance is as great a threat as, as environmental imbalance. The economic disparity that comes with unevenly distributed finite toxic resource dependence is something that cannabis will eliminate by redistributing industrial feedstocks throughout the countries where it grows. And so it's a, uh, a win, 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 win situation. <laughs> which is what we need exactly and if we can stop if we can stop that revolution and move it to the level that it needs to be through education because i believe the what is missing what has been missing so far is that education that then basically smothered but as i said at the beginning of our talk that because of social media and where now we can inform people we can start uh, to spread that word again, and it cannot be smothered this time around. I'm just curious to know what are those people from the climate who claim themselves as to be the king and queen of climate changes will have to say at the end of the day, realizing that, by the way, you forgot that plant. What do you got to say about that, people? I would <laughs> love to know what they got to say. I'm sorry, I like what? to poke at the bear. That's okay. You know, what it is, is that the institutional funding punishes the people who even think about cannabis. And so the, the institutional scientists have all been whipped into submission because they know if they propose yeah. cannabis inclusive solutions, they'll lose their funding. And so, you know, people like Michael Mann uh, can't, he can't bring up cannabis because he'll lose his funding. And so, you know, it is in, ironically incumbent upon people like me who have a basis in science and have a direct experience with nature and who have, you know, the ability to communicate. Um, you know, basically what I've been doing for the last 30 years is boiling the education down into sound bites. Because if, you know, if you want to teach people, then the fewer words you use, the better. And in the case of cannabis and uh, the revolution that uh, it is a part of, I point out that the evolution of revolution is revaluation. Cannabis isn't illegal, it's essential. Yes. And so that simple transition that polar shift in values is very easily accomplished when you understand that drugs don't make seeds herbs make seeds oh absolutely and uh, on the top <laughs> of it drugs have side effects that are even worse than what they're treating because i was i got treated on a couple of things and i was really the side effects i'm like are you freaking kidding me it's doing more harm than good well but you solved your problem I'm like no it doesn't it doesn't help me in the long run However, when you go the holistic way, because I go the holistic way, it's my choice. 
when you go the holistic way, you're looking at the plant and uh, you're looking at um, over Asia and even in the old Europe way, they used to use plants to heal themselves. So the holistic part of the cannabis should be shown and exposed to really show people what is that plant can do, because that plant is a miracle plant at the end of the day, regardless if people think it's getting high like a kite, there is some essential uh, healing part of that plant that is powerful, not only for the earth, like you said at the beginning, but for ourselves as well. And why should I miss this? Because a bunch of people decided to put it as a prohibited, where we should be removed from the prohibited list. Well, and it has, to, again, the soundbite that I came up with to describe that is respect for nature. Do you respect nature or do you respect chemicals? You know, that's really the, the, the choice that people have to make. And I made my choice a long time ago. Uh, I broke my neck in a uh, hang glider crash when I was 28. And cannabis went from being a recreational substance to being medicinal. And it, it has affected my healing over these 40 some odd years um, to where now I'm actually in better shape than I was when I was, you know, 30. <laughs> my, my physical uh, recovery from a broken neck is something that is worth uh, regarding for people who would benefit from cell regeneration because cannabis offers cell regenerative properties and it also offers mm -hmm. antibiotic and, and myriad other uh, nutritional benefits as well. So, um, you know, people have to choose who to trust. You know, do you trust Anthony Fauci or do you trust Mother Nature? And Mother Nature, in my book, has always um, been analogous to what a lot of people call God. You know, that's what when I when I founded the California Cannabis Ministry, it's a, a non-religious, it's a secular ministry uh, and it's an individual ministry. It's not a group church. You can't join the California Cannabis Ministry because that's it's an individual relationship with what I refer to as the great you name it. Whatever you want to call God is fine with me. But, you know, everybody has a direct individual relationship with the creator. And if people choose to congregate in churches, that's great. But, you know, that one to one relationship with spirit is where cannabis affords a bridge for people who can put aside the, the first layer of consciousness and set it aside for a minute and involve their uh, spiritual dimension to participate more fluidly. I uh, think that people who have experienced uh, direct relationship with spirit with or without the use of cannabis or other entheogenic uh, substances will understand that that individual relationship is the most legitimate. And so that's why I founded the California Cannabis Ministry and why I encourage people 
to uh, initiate their own ministries, uh, particularly if they're cannabis uh, oriented people, because, um, you know, you don't have to smoke marijuana in order to have a relationship with the cannabis plant. Maybe you eat the seed for uh, protein and essential fatty acids and essential amino acids and all of the other nutritional components within the seed. Maybe you wear the cloth. Uh, maybe you use the paper because you recognize that by doing that, you are helping to heal the planet. You know, that's a spiritual relationship with nature uh, in the form of respect and concern. And those are the, the properties and the qualities that I try to develop uh, in my conversations with people about cannabis so that they can share <laughs> that, that miraculous relationship and they can participate and encourage you know, the, the benefits in their lives. And, you know, it's just a wonderful thing to be a cannabis scholar because you can talk with somebody uh, about, you know, all the different dimensions of, of the plant or the history or the potential or the economics. You know, I was SEC qualified back in the 80s uh, working with the equitable um, in the financial services industry. And so I understand economics. I, I really do. And um, cannabis affords uh, a multi-trillion dollar opportunity right now. And if people want to access that uh, Gaia therapeutic economic uh, relationship, I'm very happy to help people do that because um, there is only one way to heal Earth's atmosphere. Um, and if we run out of time, then we will really uh, regret it. Um, and, uh, and our children will regret it even more. So um, I am motivated by concern for the other species with whom we share this planet. Um, I always have been. And I have actually experienced interspecies communication with more evolved uh, intelligence. And I have photographs <laughs> of the experience that I can share with sure. people. And so I really have quite a bit to offer anyone who is looking for solutions and uh, trying to make sense of where we are, because we have to do that. We owe it to our, our children and the other species with whom we share this planet. And I'm happy to, I agree. to we've, help. We've been called, uh, we've been called what, the, 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 the most uh, evolved species, but I feel like we're the less evolved at time because <laughs> some of our actions are not showing evolution. It show more regression than evolution at some point. So we're an infantile species in terms of evolution uh, our, um, our arrogance and our cleverness have outpaced our um, understanding of evolution and, and our role in it and we have to that has to be resolved we need to correct um, that and and I can promise you, after having spent time with humpback whales and dolphins in Hawaii, 
And after having spent thousands of hours in the, in the ocean as a commercial diver and as an underwater photographer um, and a sport diver, um, I, I can tell you that we are not the most evolved <laughs> species no, on this planet, not. not by a long shot. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, we're the only one at war. So yes, it shows that we're not that evolved at some level. We're always bickering. If everybody could live in peace, we'll be just fine. Maybe we need to give everybody some seeds of uh, cannabis and let them plant it and we'll be just happy. I don't know. Well, that's, that is Wait. the, actually, that is the, the, the key. We need to distribute seed so that everyone can help themselves and then everybody will be able to help each other. It's dolphin economics says you help me help you help everyone. And yep. it's based in abundance and natural economics is abundance. It's man that has created the scarcity and the inequitable distribution of essential resources that we were all born into. So we think it's normal and it's not. Abundance is normal. And if you were free to grow as much cannabis as you want, then you would be able to provide for all of the needs for you for and you. your family and your community. <laughs> and there are people right now that are making obscene amounts of money that would not be making those obscene amounts of money if you were able to provide your own fuel and food and, and all the other things you need to, to thrive. And so that's where we're at. We're at the, the end of the, the, uh, the subterfuge where we were told that mm -hmm. fossil fuels are valuable, valuable. cannabis is, is bad. Well, the opposite of that is true. And that polar shift in values is the evolution of revolution. It's the revaluation. And that's the, the challenge of our time, the fundamental challenge of our time. Yeah, yeah. I think we're on the verge. I think we're on the verge right now with what Heal the Planet we're going to do in September, and you're going to join us there, which I'm very excited with Renee, uh, being able to start to voice it and after the event, continue on a path of education so we can get vocals, more and more vocals, not only here in the US, but being able to having that event to broadcast and able to spread it so we can really start or continue uh, that revolution to change uh, the minds of people and being able to reverse what has been set in a course in, since 1942. It's the time to do it, it now. It is. And I have uh, communicated globally uh, I presented Cannabis versus Climate Change at the World Hemp Congress in Slovenia five years in a row. I have been mm -hmm. filmed. Uh, I'm uh, interviewed in the film Canna Movie, uh, where I talk about uh, cannabis and all the things it can do and uh, how Elon Musk should pay attention to this plant because it solves a lot of the problems that he's trying to solve. And so, um, you know, it, you know, the, the main thing is for people to understand that the UVB radiation is increasing and we need to address that. And once we address that, which we can, 
then a lot of the other problems that we're facing will be resolved just because we address the UVB radiation. And if somebody has a better idea for addressing UVB radiation, I certainly have not heard it. But the biogenic production of atmospheric aerosol terpenes is absolutely priority one. And in doing that, we will solve world hunger, we'll solve the problems of overpopulation, of soil degeneration, of fossil fuels addiction, of endless war. I mean, those are all the the global problems that cannabis can can successfully resolve. And it seems like, you know, we're we're dragging our feet uh, just because we have been controlled for so long that the people who have been controlling us want to maintain that control. And we are in a position of having demand with the help of the military, the uh, access to the tree of life whose leaves will heal the nations. <laughs> exactly. No, I agree. I totally agree. But I think that the groundwork has to continue with the education in order to access the military and the common people as well, because I believe that through the education and um, the education and change of the law at the local level, then the federal level, then we can do something until, you know, I think the federal will be a little challenging because of the lobbyist. And I uh, brought it back in conversation a month ago to someone else, but it's a problem with the lobbyists. But if our voices are stronger enough and we can get those laws changed at the state level first, then the federal should be a walk in the park at the end of the day. But if we don't have the support from the people in the U.S. to start with, and they all ponder at their uh, lawmakers and whomever they elected, then nothing will change completely. So we have to well, start somewhere. And I believe in my heart that the education we're putting together, what we're going to do in September is going to, you know, springboard to you and Renee to a level that will put you where you need to be as the experts, because you are the expert, no doubt about it, but make it more public so nobody can ignore it. Well, you know, what really needs to happen is that um, that essential civilian demand is an accelerated federal protocol that doesn't require us to change the laws. The laws will be uh, become obsolete. And the federal essential civilian and military demand will establish a new level of uh, progress that we've never seen before because national security and global integrity are at stake. We can't, we can't depend on our lawmakers to lead us um, if, we, if we are being threatened with global extinction. We have to do what we have to do, and we have to do it in a timely way. But um, what really needs to happen is that I need to testify before Congress and to introduce um, both the problem of increasing UVB radiation and the solution to it at the same time, because that's what we have time for. We We have a spring planting season that is happening right now. And if we miss this spring planting season because the laws haven't changed in time, then that's not going to be a very good excuse to our kids about why the planet isn't livable. And so 
we have to prioritize change over governance. We have to figure out how to transcend the limitations without depending on other people to do what we need them to do. Because in the end, what it comes down to is whether or not you have access to this seed or not. And if you do, you have a chance of survival. And if you don't, well, then you have less of a chance of survival. And so the, the, the good news is that um, things are changing. The Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, has acknowledged that hemp is a clim- climate smart commodity. It is a, uh, and climate smart agriculture is something that our government is investing a billion dollars into, which, you know, isn't really in proportion to the urgency, but it is a step in the right direction. I agree. But the, the state law needs to be changed too. And I believe with the education, bring it up to the federal state, but it's still, you know, we're depending on two things. We're depending on the federal and the state. And the states needs to change. As I said, I write something here for Minnesota, which is ridiculous. It's against the law, actually, what they're doing. Uh, when they want to prosecute somebody who has more than 25 plants, and uh, well, there was 25 plants, and I don't remember, 10, 10 pounds of uh, weed, and they decide it becomes a manufacturing, manufacturing becomes sales. It's like, no, it's not. They don't manufacture. What are they talking about? So there is a lot of things that by the education and pushing it, even going to Washington and see what they're going to do, can influence others because we need, even if the federal pass, the state can still monkey around and blocking things. And I believe that if we can hit both of them, I'm thinking state first, but you're thinking federal, it doesn't matter which way it's going to go. Both of them need to let go. Well, I think that um, meeting with our state legislators is the most uh, cost-effective way. Um, But I think our ability to communicate globally, electronically, instantaneously affords us the opportunity to do both at the same time. I have recorded um, cannabis versus climate change uh, in a minute and a half, and it's uh, pinned on my uh, Twitter account. And whether it's uh, heard by people at the state level or the federal level, it's a global problem. And it requires a global response. And if cannabis is a strategic resource in seven presidential executive orders signed by seven different American presidents, which it is, then it's a strategic resource in every country. And every country needs to exercise essential military and civilian demand for this strategic resource. Yes, I agree. And I think it's essential to start here. Like you said, for Fukushima, the U.S. prohibited something so they cannot plan it. But if it's lift up here, then it will help the rest of the world. I totally agree with you. Oh, yes, absolutely. It would be a miracle when that happens. But we need to work towards that. And that's, I think, uh, one of the biggest things for this year to get started. 
and moving into the right direction and do justice for that plant. Because I'm looking at the holistic, as I said, I'm a non-user, all right? So I'm looking at the holistic side of that plant that has so much to bring to human, to the earth, to everybody and the planet itself, then it's a shame that we have not been, we have not been able to do this for over 40 plus years. It's ridiculous. Well, it's, it's a crime on a level that can't be measured because the nutritional benefits of cannabis seed are both unique and essential, not just for man. Uh, legislating scarcity of a unique and essential nutritional resource is beyond the rightful authority of our species because there are other species that depend on the unique and essential nutrition of cannabis in order to obtain optimum health and survival. And so for us to induce scarcity of a unique and essential natural resource is a crime against nature. And we are a part of nature. So obviously it's a crime against our fellow man, but you know, birds and, and other animals that eat seeds, the bats now are dying because they don't have access to the terpenes that can help to uh, eliminate the white nose syndrome that's killing bats by the millions and you know these uh uh the colony collapse disorder in bees is a result of bees not having access to terpene rich uh plants like cannabis i, I have a film that i made of a honeybee rubbing itself down from antenna to stinger with cannabis resin <laughs> because bees have a symbiotic relationship with cannabis and so you know, we have to respect these things and understand that if we short circuit these systemic relationships, that we're short circuiting all systemic relationships because everything is connected. Exactly. All systems are connected. Exactly. And we have to respect yeah. those <laughs> relationships. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. That's why it's so essential to have that education and the understanding what are the benefits of cannabis and yes. not only for people who think, you know, like I did, okay, <laughs> like I said at the beginning of the sure. conversation, yes, sure. when you think cannabis, you think pothead, you think people sure. being stoned. But when you're studying the plant itself, you realize there is so much more benefits and we need to make and do justice to that plant that can actually save, save and heal the planet. And not only for us, but for the animals, uh, they are flying, crawling, swimming, whatever they're sure. doing. Uh, and there, so. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that. I'll tell you, I didn't start using cannabis. I didn't start smoking cannabis until after I graduated from college when I was 23. And uh, that was uh, uh, because I felt the same way you did. I saw my roommates who were, you know, red eyed and, and stinky. And, and I thought, well, I don't want to be like that. And so. Um, I avoided cannabis until after I graduated from college because I felt an obligation to my, uh, my education not to toy with my brain too much before uh, I had, had educated myself. And so 
in doing that, I had the perspective that uh, you've just shared. And yet, um, once I started using cannabis, I thought, well, you know what? This doesn't feel bad for me. Intuitively, this actually feels good for me. And, and so I decided when I was 23 years old that I would use cannabis until I learned whether it was good for me or bad for me. And if it was bad for me, obviously, I'd stop doing it. And so I uh, have been using cannabis ever since. And I've stopped a few times for a variety of reasons, but um, I've always come back to it. And um, I use it responsibly. And I uh, uh, try to help other people to understand it, even if they don't choose to use it, which I respect. Um, I, I do uh, command respect for my use of it because, um, you know, I, I give respect. And so <laughs> I expect, uh, respect in return. So, uh, that's the way I orient toward, uh, other people's approval or disapproval of it. Um, you know, when I broke my neck, I really didn't think I needed anybody's, uh, <laughs> uh, approval to, to feel better because the, the pain is excruciating when you have uh, nerve damage. And so I didn't really have a choice at that point. And as it is now, the cell regenerative properties of cannabis seed nutrition and cannabis terpenes and cannabinoids and all the other flavonoids and things that are in the, in the plant. Um, I have access through a, a drink that I make called Leche Verde. And Leche Verde is the whole plant blended in spring water and mm -hmm. strain. Spring water and strain. And yeah. it is, I think, uh, probably the most healthful drink on the planet. It may reverse the degenerative aging process, actually. So that's been my experience with it. I can't say what it does for anybody else, but um, certainly, I do know people that have been using Leche Verde for uh, uh, several years now and are giving me feedback on the physiological benefits of it. So there is quite a, a, a vast uh, science uh, that hasn't been uh, investigated yet that I'd like to see more people uh, putting uh, time and, and energy into the whole plant nutrition. There is a lot of yeah. science. Yeah, there is a lot of science that needs to be done around that plant to know even more because I'm pretty much sure when I'm thinking about the plants in the holistic way, I'm sure in Europe there is some writing somewhere, some books where they talk about the benefits of it. The same with um, uh, Asia area as well, Asia Pacific areas as well. For me, like I said, I'm a non-user. I don't need this because I can connect with the universe or get high by myself by meditating. So for me, I never use this. I never saw the point. Uh, that's who I am. That's what my spirit is telling me. You don't need to use this. So I don't use it for that reason. I don't need it. I don't need this because I connect very quickly with the universe because I'm an intuitive. But it's very interesting to learn more about the plant and the benefits that can do um, and what people are using it in their product because now Cosmetic is using some of the, um, the product based on marijuana. So it's very interesting to, to see the diversity of that plant. And I want to know more about it actually 
uh, because I want to educate myself to the level that I'm not going to say to be an expert, but to be somebody who has a full knowledge of how that plant works and what are those hidden secrets like Chernobyl <laughs> for me. I'm interested to know more and stuff like that. So me, it's the, the, the learning of it as well and the education behind it, because the more educated education you've got, the more powerful you become to know what is right or wrong and ask questions, like I said, kicking the hornet's nest and say, well, why the people from the climate change don't talk about this one? Why are the government deciding to still put that plant into the prohibited list where there is so much benefits that could be done? So that's well, the reason of, I'm interested a about lot it. Of money, a lot of money involved, you know, it's, it always comes down to yeah. money, but um, historically I'm looking at a book right now that uh, it's called the people's common sense medical advisor by RV Pierce MD. And it was published uh, at the beginning of the last century. Um, in uh, eight, oh, at the end of uh, the 19th century, it was uh, published in 1895. And in this uh, medical text, cannabis is referred to uh, as an elixir of life. And it's, uh, you know, over a hundred years since that book was written. And yet, People still, yeah, people still don't understand the potential that is unique to this plant. And you have to ask yourself why that is. If there was anything because else. Because of the stigma. That's the yes, stigma. But it's that the stigma that's been uh, manufactured for a purpose to obscure the true value. Exactly. The other things that, yes. you know, the opioids and the, uh, you know, fossil fuels and the paper made from trees and, you know, all those other industries that are competitive with cannabis have a vested interest in maintaining that reefer madness and that social yes. disapproval of the plant. But um, Emma, yes. it sounds like uh, if you haven't tried it already, then in order to be fully educated at some point, um, it might be beneficial for you to, to, to try it and experience it on a level that is currently um, beyond your reach. I hope that I'm uh, the one to, to sit down with you for the first time, uh, if that happens. But um, let's put it this way. I have, I have, you know, I have no interest on smoking it. Now, eating the plant itself, eating the seeds, yes, I will be more than willing to do. Smoking it, no, I don't have that interest. But eating the plant using essential oils um, and stuff like that, yes, I would be more than well, interested to do that, for sure. Well, good, yes. good. Well, well, you know, you can go to yes. the health food store right now and, and buy hemp seed in the health food store and start incorporating it into your diet. It is tremendously yeah. interesting. Uh, you can research or, or, or look up the uh, nutritional benefits of hemp seed and develop a relationship with it on that level, uh, which I would absolutely encourage you to do. 
Oh, I, I, yes, and I wanted to know more about as well as amino acid and extraction of amino acid to that plant as well, because I'm very curious to know um, uh, if you have people around you who are doing it or not, because there is that uh, business side of it of, you know, the amino acids, the hemp seeds, and all of that, then I want to learn about. Well, cannabis is unique in that it's the only common seed that has all three essential fatty acids in proper proportion for long-term consumption. And it has all of the essential amino acids in meaningful quantities. It's tremendously <laughs> unique and essential just in terms of the essential fatty acids and the amino acids, but also the, the proteins, the Ediston and albumin protein in the seed is unique to cannabis and they're globulin proteins. You can get albumin protein from eggs, but you can't get albumin protein from any other vegetable source. And yeah, yeah. the Ediston protein, uh, which comprises 65% of the protein in, in the seed, um, and the, the albumin is 35% of the protein. Uh, but the Ediston protein is a, a foundational to our immune system. And it's just uh, so key in uh, the uh, enzymatic function in our bodies and the different uh, sodium channel, the uh, potassium channels, the different channels within our bodies respond to the different uh, nutritional elements in the plant. Um, Dr. William Courtney is uh, a very uh, well uh, respected authority on the raw plant nutrition that's available through cannabis. And his website is www.cannabisinternational.org and people can access his infinite wisdom uh, and his wife, Kristen, uh, Courtney, uh, for the research that they've done uh, on, on the nutritional benefits of the, the raw cannabis plant. And that's what I'm interested. Now, you said that uh, hemp seed is available to um, whole food store, but the question I have for you is all hemp seed the same or do we have different kind? Because... My only concern is, what do you know is a good seed or not? Are they the same? I have the same benefits because I do know there is different strings for different cannabis plants. So the one they are providing it in those stores, are they all the same or not? Well, there is variation uh, between mm -hmm. the uh, plant material portions of the plant, but my understanding of the... Uh, nutritional properties of the seed is that there is some consistency in that. And the hemp, the industrial hemp that's being used to produce the hemp seed product is fairly consistent um, with the proteins and the essential fatty acids and, and um, those elements. All right. 
I wanted to make sure because, you know, that's why the education needs to be there and the understanding and recognizing, because as I said, I'm just learning some of those stuff. So I'm just at the beginning, you already the master in the field, me, I'm just the one who put her toes into the water and want to learn more. <laughs> so I wanted to, you know, and for people who are listening to us, because, you know, when it's going to go, I'm going to release this one live. If it's not this afternoon, it's going to be tomorrow morning. It's That show is going to be live on Emma's Universe podcast. I want to make sure people understand as well, because I'm, you know, every product or everything you're seeing in the market, you want to know if those seeds have a difference between one another and how to recognize it, because I don't know where they come from. So at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I'm going to go get some hemp seeds and I'm going to add it to my diet for sure. And um, I want to make sure that what I get is something that really have the nutrition in there, the amino acid, the protein, everything in there that it's supposed to have. Well, most reputable companies are monitoring their uh, nutritional content of their products. And for example, Nativa is one uh, company that uh, supplies hemp seed to the U.S. market. And uh, their organic hemp seeds, it's important to, to try to access organic seed. Um, yep. Also in Portland, there's Pacific Foods, which produces hemp seed milk, which is really delicious. Um, and it's a, a very uh, accessible form in which to ingest the seeds. It's very easy to drink hemp seed milk from Pacific Foods, and I, I recommend that company's products very highly. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, the best source of hemp seed is, is from your local farm. And so, you know, trying to encourage the local production of hemp seed is what I try to do so that people can be food secure. Um, whatever you depend upon for protein now may or may not be available very soon for a variety of reasons. So it's important for people to understand that conditions on yes. this planet are changing and we need to be secure in our access to complete mm-hmm. nutrition and cannabis provides that. Okay. Yeah. I'm, that that's what is needed and you can make your own actually you can make your own uh, milk if you got enough seeds actually there's a way to do it too i've done it sure. for some other um seeds to make my sure. own milk so yep. yeah because i'm i'm actually looking right now i went on my favorite place on earth maybe you don't like them amazon and i'm looking at pacific food which have unsweetened milk hemp milk uh you do have different bulk uh hemp seed so it's, it's good to know that it already exists. And uh, for me to start to look at it and see if um, I can buy it. I'm curious to know for the test now for, uh, oh yeah, they sell it at the Whole Food Market too. <laughs> they send the, the hemp. Oh, well, I'm going to go to the Whole Food Market because they do sell the Pacific food hemp uh, unsweetened actually, which is awesome. Yeah, they do. Yeah, but that's awesome. 
Well, that's the good news. I'm going to go and get some. I want to have a test of it, of the milk version of it, but I'm going to get the seeds as well. This is what I wanted too. So it's awesome. Well, it's I, great. Well, I, I really like the sweetened really vanilla. Like the sweet vanilla. I don't like yeah. vanilla. I'm not a huge they fan used, of vanilla. Yeah. It's too they used, uh, <laughs> they, It's not too. It's not too it's much. Not too, just a little bit of vanilla. Okay. But um, vanilla. it's sweetened with but, rice. Um, Syrup. Oh, not yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, it's no, it's, really yeah, no it's, it's really delicious. I can I can see yeah I can see this oh yeah but this one they don't do it at the Whole food store on this one yeah I see this one but it's I think out of stock. Ah, uh, see, <laughs> well, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Your milk about. version, <laughs> vanilla milk version of it. I'm sorry to say to people, it's out of stock where I am. I'm like, okay, yeah. a lot of people must like that uh, vanilla version of it because it's out of stock. It's funny. Oh well, my god, that's what it's happens even EBT eligible. People, what he, happens at the store? Oh my god, yeah. believe it or not, it's EBT yeah. eligible. Do you know that? <laughs> so people who are on uh, welfare who have AB, EBT card can buy actually the uh, unsweetened plant-based uh, milk, the hemp. I did not even know well, that. It's well, the best it's thing, the for best you. thing for you. Yes, agreed. Oh my God. Well, you know, my son, well, you know, my son went from went breastfeeding, from breastfeeding to drinking hemp seed milk that I made fresh back in 2007 before uh, hemp seed milk was available commercially. And it was one of the product ideas that I had. I've been making hemp seed milk since 1997. 1997. And had been trying to, you know, raise investment for product development. But yeah. I'm like a I'm money like magnet a whose magnet. polarity is switched. Polarity is switched. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I have these great product well, ideas, but I am just seem incapable of raising investment. Well, so, I think with Michael, so, we got some ideas. We'll talk offline on this one because I think we got some ideas to help you. So I think you you find the right people here that's going to be able to utilize what you've got and make it happen. How about that? Well, that's wonderful. I'm well, looking forward to a change in paradigm and am happy to Paradise. to provide yes what i think is the best value for the money i if, if i had money to invest i'd invest in me i agree with you too because there is a lot of things that um uh, there's a lot of things that you've got that's why i want to know more about this business i want to dip and don't ask me why the universe is getting me in that direction so i'm following what uh, the universe is telling me but uh, I think there's a lot of good things with the, uh, with the cannabis and the hemp seeds and everything else that uh, developing it to a point where we can do something, um, give it back 
to the earth, to the communities, and being bold to help mankind and the planet itself. I think it's a great way to do it. So, and I don't live in utopia world. I live in this world, by the way, people. <laughs> so, well, there you go. That's well, a great well, Yes. Well, we'll get it done. So, we'll Yes, I know. So, but I wanted to thank you, Paul. I know Michael had to jump to another meeting, but I wanted to thank you for um, talking with me, with us today. Uh, it's been such a great uh, journey here to be able to listen to you and realizing how much you know knowledge you've got. It's amazing. And uh, do more with you because I know... We, in September, you will be with us at Heal the Planet uh, event, and you're going to do some workshop and you're going to be educating people, but we're going to uh, also ensure that everything that is done over there is being recorded because we're going to broadcast what we're doing at that event. It's going to be broadcast worldwide, and we're going to keep track because it's just the beginning to that uh, revolution to move it up to the next level, which is... Removing it from the uh, prohibited list and being able to have it accessible to people. That's right. The evolution right. of revolution, the evolution is revaluation. Exactly. I love it. That's the right word on the top of it, too. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so thank you, Paul. Thank and you, I will post everything, as I said, tomorrow and on my description of, uh, because I do uh, in my podcast, I have a little description. So I will have all of your links as well. So people can connect with you and we're going to hear more from you within the next few months uh, and working with Michael. So it's going to be a great um, adventure. We're just uh, starting right now on our side and having you on board. It's just a pleasure and an honor to have oh. you uh, as the expert, as the, the person who has such a deep knowledge about the plant at so many levels, it's unbelievable. Well, thank you so much. I am well, so humbled so by much. your high regard. And I encourage you, oh, to, I do. I, I encourage you to find my uh, films find my, uh, and my photographs. And my photographs. Yes. Because I think you'll like yeah, them. I'm going to do that. Oh, I'm pretty much sure too. So <laughs> thank you so much, Paul. Bye. Well, thank you, Emma. 